you turn to John's Gospel, to chapter 18, I will pick up in verse 1. And while you're turning there, we've reached this time in the ministry of Jesus where we just finished this incredible prayer that he prays first for himself, his relationship between uh, himself and God the Father, and then for you and I, uh, how we ought to live and be and breathe as believers, prays for that unity of the body of Christ. Uh, He has stopped short of the Garden of Gethsemane. We find that in this passage. He's making this very, very, very quick transition from the old city, probably came through either the Lion's Gate or the Eastern Gate, uh, came out of the city walls, the protected city walls. He's going to cross the Brook Kidron. He's going to come to the Garden of Gethsemane, and it is there that he's going to be arrested. He's going to the Garden of Grace. And while you think about this, and while you prepare your hearts to receive the elements of communion, When you think about what Jesus did in that garden, I want to ask you a few very quick questions. What would you have done if it were your son or your daughter that was about to be arrested and murdered? How about this one? Would you have been able to forgive your friends for abandoning you at your very deepest moment of need? What would you have done to the enemies that put people up to what's about to happen to the Lord Jesus? Would you have taken the time to clean up the utter fiasco that is the lives of the disciples, those closest to the Lord Jesus? Would you have forgiven Peter? Not once, not twice, but three times? The one you poured into for three years and yet it is here in the garden of grace that God the Father gives up his only begotten son that even though they would abandon him Jesus loved the disciples to the end that we find forgiveness for you and for me for us That the weight of the world that would be pressed down upon Jesus would be that chastisement that is for your peace, my peace, all who would believe in him, their peace. That would happen in the Garden of Grace. Would you pray with me? We'll pick up in verse 1 in John 18. Father, we... Oh, God. I couldn't have done it. That was my son, one of my sons, Lord. I, 
I don't think I could have surrendered either of them. And Lord, I think each of us in our own way would recognize that what you did in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, in the Garden of Grace, was a miracle for us. Lord, as you began this march towards Golgotha, Calvary, the place of the cross, as you headed back into the city to be tried and ultimately murdered. Lord, we thank you that you didn't despise that shame. You didn't count it as a robbery, but you endured it all for us so that we might have peace with God, eternal life, so that we might inherit heaven. Lord, you literally took our hell and gave us your heaven. Bless us now as we study your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1, And when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron. And so you can see he has not crossed over that brook yet. And it's just outside the city walls. So he had no doubt stopped somewhere just outside of the city and sat down and knelt and prayed. And there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. It was there that Jesus often went with his disciples to pray, to teach, to meditate, to simply hang out. Much like very often we who live in the city turn our attention to to getting away maybe to a park somewhere or perhaps down to sit on the beach. Some place that's a little quieter than our neighborhoods. Some place where we can reflect a little bit and hear the voice of the Lord. Jesus had gone there often. This was a place of peace. It was a place of fond remembrance for Jesus. And then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Now the word detachment means very little to us today. But in the original language, uh, if you have a King James Bible, it's translated cohort. It's a very specific part of a Roman legion. It's a one-tenth. It would be between 380 and possibly as much as 800 troops. Judas has been given what we would call in our military jargon of today a battalion of men to go and arrest somebody who's never done anything but caused the blind to see and the lame to walk and healed the sick and fed those who were hungry. They are really afraid of Jesus for some reason. And I believe it's because the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the chief priest, Annas and Caiaphas, may have gotten a little glimpse of who Jesus was when he said, I am. 
They were expecting something big. Because here's the truth of the matter. You could have sent the military might of the United States of America with every bit of military hardware we have to arrest Jesus. And unless he went willingly, nobody was going to take him. Amen? He willingly surrendered his life a ransom for you. And while from a human perspective he was arrested, he was detained, he was tried. A mock trial, as we'll see as we move on through these next couple of chapters. Here this detachment of troops could have been as many as a thousand people. Chief priests and scribes also had soldiers at their disposal to protect the Temple Mount. They came with lanterns, torches, and weapons to arrest the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? That's the question still to this day, isn't it? Who do men say that I am? Who is it you're looking for? Maybe you're here today, and perhaps you're asking the question, Who is this Jesus? Jesus will step forward into your life right now and tell you who he is. And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And notice the response. He didn't say, well, well, um, he went that way. Or as Peter will do, I never knew the man. You don't think Jesus could not have come up with a very compelling story that he was not who they were seeking? And yet Jesus just steps forward in front of the very people whom who would abandon him within moments. Jesus steps around Peter. And echoes with his actions, this is the purpose for which I have come into this world. I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Can I remind you that within church there are almost always those who are there for the wrong reason? You can eventually know them by their fruit. They'll eventually reveal themselves because they're not actually disciples. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. We occasionally find them here. But they never fool God. God knows why we're here. God knows who is here. And now when he had said to them, I am he, they drew back, and I love this. That's why I shared with you what this actually is. 
and they fell to the ground. Between 500 and 1,000 fully trained, armored men with a scene that's much like a 50s horror movie with everyone with pitchforks and you know, carrying swords and weapons and torches all coming into this little garden that if you go there today, you'll see it's not huge. It could have never been huge because there isn't that much space at the base of the Mount of Olives. That army takes a step back and falls down. There's power in the word of Jesus. He said, I am. It's me. And I love what happens next. And then he asked them again, whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. And therefore, if you seek me, let these, the disciples who would abandon him, within moments anyway, Peter who would respond inappropriately in moments anyway, would you please let them go? This is between me and you. Let them go. Let these go their way. That the saying might be fulfilled which spoke of these whom you gave me, I have lost none. Beautiful picture of God's unmerited favor, his grace. Beautiful picture picture of the Garden of Grace. If you travel with us, we have our tour coming up in April of next year. One of the stops that we'll make is the Garden of Gethsemane. And while it's fairly unlikely that the trees themselves are actually the trees that were there during Jesus' time, the way olive trees grow, they grow with rootstock. And so they can come and go from the same rootstock and it is believed genetically that the rootstock that is there is still the same rootstock that was there 2,000 years ago when Jesus walked through this garden. Of course, the Church of the Agony was not there. But it's where Jesus went, just outside the city walls, to meet with his disciples. As you walk around that garden today and you look at those gnarled trunks, and you think about the disciples sitting there, perhaps even on the rock that to this day is a, is a place that people go and sit on it and weep on it. I, I've watched countless hundreds of people laying on this boulder in the corner of the garden just weeping. It's believed that perhaps it was there that Jesus wept. Sweat those great drops of blood. But Jesus was there for a purpose. He was there for a reason. He was there to give his life a ransom for many, exactly as the prophet Isaiah said. He was there to do for you and I what we cannot do for ourselves. 
If they had arrested me and tried me and put me to death, I would still be perishing and going to hell. I have never been able to pay the price for my own sin. I still can't pay the price for my own sin. No matter how long I work, no matter how hard I try, I will never be able to save myself. That's why the Apostle Paul so eloquently put it this way as he wrote to the church at Rome. By the works of the flesh is no one justified. It can't happen. God had to die for you personally. And he did. Jesus had to be pressed on. And in fact, the name Gethsemane means oil press. And it's such a beautiful picture of what happens here in the Garden of Gethsemane. Outside of the garden, there's actually a rock area. This olive press is an exact replica of an ancient olive press. It's found at Yod Hashmanah. It's a kibbutz just outside of the city of Jerusalem. We travel there. But this is all of the parts completely assembled for many of them that they found in the region. And the olives first would be crushed. He was crushed for us. In order to crush them, they have to be bruised. He was bruised. The chastisement for our peace was placed upon him. The weight of the sins of the world were placed on him. Every one of those stones representing your life and my life. God judging your sin and my sin, looking at your life and seeing those failures and needing to do something about it so that you can have eternal life, so that your hell can be dealt with and his heaven given to you. Jesus was placed in that basket for you and every ounce of him was pressed out till it was pure. And what was left behind was your brokenness and your pits and pitfalls. And in order to get more oil, more rock would be added on the other end. Sometimes multiple stones hung on one particular place until there was nothing left to press out of it. It's exactly what Jesus did in the garden. That's what he did at the cross. That's what happened when Christ died for you. The weight of your sin was placed on him and his life was pressed out and given to you. Gethsemane was a place of pressing. But it was also a place of judgment. You're being judged. I'm being judged by your sin. Your sin had to be judged. God is just. He is holy. He's perfect. And so while Jesus, the perfect holy lamb of God was sinless, every last bit of judgment that was necessary to free you was another stone placed on Jesus. And can I tell you that includes the lousy attitude you woke up with today. Amen? 
That includes those thoughts that you harbor in your mind that you know are not supposed to be there that no one knows about except Jesus who took another stone. You see, sometimes we skip over the garden because the passage is so small. Those great drops of blood came from somewhere and they came from the weight of the sins of the world. Yours, mine, and every person that's ever lived. You see, he was pressed, he was bruised, he was broken, he was crushed. He was obedient, he submitted, and we have been the recipients of what happened to him. All of human history really can be boiled down to just three garden scenes. Life as we know it began in a garden, amen? Adam and Eve. A beautiful place and a single tree that they could not eat from, for in the moment that they ate of it, that they would die that they would have the knowledge of both good and evil. And so God said, I don't want you to ever know evil, so don't eat of that tree, for in the moment you eat of it, you will surely die. But that tree was in the garden. All Adam and Eve knew was walking with God. That's all they knew. They had not a care in the world. You can slap them both when you get to heaven. Now, don't do that. That was a bad idea. Just. But they were in the garden with God. They were in the garden with God. They had nothing to concern themselves with. But in order for our choices to be real, they have to be legitimate. And so there was something to choose. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil and its fruit. Our salvation history actually runs right through the Garden of Gethsemane. Because what Adam messed up, Jesus fixed up. Amen? Oh, praise his name. What Adam messed up, what Eve messed up, Jesus fixed up in the garden. It began there. It would continue to the courtyard of Pilate. It would take him to the cross. It would take him to the grave. But oh, he is not still in the grave. Amen? Amen. But it runs through the garden. Because in order for us to be saved, Jesus had to be crushed. Your sins added to my sins and our sins collectively placed on him. And the story actually doesn't end with his resurrection. It ends with us back in the garden in the holy city. Amen? Revelation 21, 22, read them. You see, all history began in, runs through, and ends up back in the garden. Because that's what God wants for us. The choice is, do you want that history for yourself? 
Jesus paved the way at Calvary's cross. That's what these elements represent to us. He was bruised for me. When you look at the the matzah, when you hold that small piece, broken piece, I might add, what happened to him in the garden? He was bruised. He was broken. He was pierced ultimately. So as we celebrate communion, part of it's from the Garden of Eden. That's where he was bruised with your sin. That's why those little burn lines are on that matzo cracker. That wafer. Whatever you want to call it, the bread. Jesus was judged in my place. The Lord went through that oil press. The Lord took the weight of my condemnation and the wrath that God should have poured out on me. You see, you deserve to die for your own sin. So do I. I deserve to be crushed myself, bruised myself, beaten myself, crucified myself, and oh, by the way, left for dead myself. That's what I deserve. But in the garden of grace, instead I get God's unmerited favor and his mercy in my life. Jesus took upon himself the weight of my sin. He took all the punishment, all the condemnation, all the judgment that was rightfully mine and rightfully yours. He took it personally. He didn't leave anybody out. Well, you know, I mean, some of them, Lord, they're just, you know, God, they're not worth saving. No, the weight of the sins of the world were heaped upon him. Every last one of us. He would cross that gloomy brook Kidron, and it's so beautiful a picture, even though it's it's horrible. There are two streams, one on the southern end of the, of the Temple Mount and one on the eastern edge of the Temple Mount. The Brook Kidron is the one on the eastern edge. The stream Hinnom is on the southern side, but the one that flows from the Temple Mount is the Brook Kidron. And because there were so many animals that were slaughtered on the Temple Mount, when it rained, the blood would mix with the water and it would flow off of the Temple Mount and into the brook, Kedron, hence its name, Gloomy. It was good for watering plants, but not so good to drink. You see... When Jesus finally has his spear thrust into his side, what comes out? Blood and water. He crossed over your gloominess. He crossed over your pain. He crossed over your shame. He went to the garden to return you to the garden so that he gave his life a ransom for you personally. It's all beautifully symbolic. Jesus crossed over darkness for you. 
In that sense, he was judged in your place and in my place. Jesus knew what laid before him. Jesus understood completely. That's why David, as he would write the Psalms, as he speaks prophetically of Messiah, said, my tears have been my food day and night. He was picturing Messiah. Jesus was a man of sorrows, acquainted with all of our ways. Amen? But he did that for the joy that was set before him. Amen? Knowing that one day we would be redeemed by his precious blood. You see, it wasn't just some crazy plot put together by a lunatic named Judas along with a whole bunch of people from the temple. It was not the Romans capitulating to to bring peace to Jerusalem. God's plan was always that Jesus would die for you and for me. That's why he was the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. It wasn't an afterthought. God knew what he was doing when he sent his own son to this world to die for you. And Jesus held nothing back. And though Jesus had been rejected by the people, by his own people, Rejected by his friends, his own friends. Jesus knew what he was doing. Full obedience to God the Father. And I want you to think as we draw our attention to the communion elements, would you have died for you? Because there's one person on this planet that knows exactly how wretched you are, and that's you. Amen? Amen? Sometimes it helps to get a little real with who you are. Amen? You can see, I don't know all your stuff. In Jesus' name, I don't want to know all your stuff. But I know God knows your stuff. He's seen every last thing that you have ever already done. Everything you will do even later this afternoon when you overload your nachos with jalapenos. He knows everything you're going to do next week, next month, next year, until he takes you home. He knows all of it, and he still sent Jesus to die for you. Thank you, Lord. Amen? That's the beauty of what we're about to celebrate at the communion table. Because what Jesus was about to get was the kiss of treachery. It wasn't like a... Well, we'll save you, Lord. One by one, there goes John and James and Andrew, his own half-brother. Peter, the brave one, we're going to get to him next. I know how to handle this. I'll lop off his ear. It's next week. Jesus still went to the garden. He still poured out his grace on you and upon me. Exactly as the prophet David would speak as he wrote both the 41st and the 55th Psalm. He said, even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. 
David would experience that himself, but he's looking forward to Messiah. Speaking prophetically of this night. But it was you, a man my equal, my companion, my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together. We walked to the house of God with the people. Every single person that Jesus had poured into by the time this night is over, will have walked away. And he's still going to go to the cross. Now, if that doesn't put you on your knees, if that doesn't bring you to the place of doing some business with God before we come to the communion table, I don't know what will. Because when I think of Jesus in the garden being pressed for me, it's like, Lord... You should have let me go. I think most of us, if we're honest, will say, I wasn't worth it. Now, praise God, that's not how God sees it, amen? He sees you as absolutely worth it. So worth it that Jesus died. He was not just going to be pressed and crushed and bruised and broken, but he's literally going to give his life. I'm going to ask the communion team to come forward and begin to pass out first the bread and then the cup will come to you and I would ask that you would hold both elements. Those of you that are familiar here at Calvary Chapel South Bay, you know what I'm about to say. This is for the disciples. This is for the body of Christ. You see, because we believe Jesus was bruised, Jesus was crushed, Jesus was broken, Jesus was pierced, Jesus did die, and Jesus did shed his blood for me. And these elements represent what Jesus did for me, for you, for us. And so if you're here today and you've never invited Christ into your life, You've never said yes to the offer of God's grace. I have good news for you. You can do that right now. You can simply confess to God that you are a sinner. That you recognize you cannot save yourself. That you believe that Christ died for you. Took your punishment You can invite him into your life to be your savior and your Lord, to forgive your sin, to inscribe your name in the Lamb's book of life. You can receive and believe right now and by all means, join us at your first communion service. But if you have not done that, please allow these elements to pass you by. Because the Apostle Paul, as he wrote to the church at Corinth in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, he said, There are those who defame the Lord's Supper and partake of it in an unworthy manner, and some of them are sick, and some of them have even died. And the reason that Paul said that is this. There is a seriousness to this supper which cannot be denied. We are celebrating what Christ did for those of us who believe. And so while to you it may just be juice and crackers to me, It's the broken body and the blood of my Savior, Jesus. 
Jesus was poured out in the garden. I think Judas must have expected some type of resistance. Otherwise, why would he bring an army? But let me point something out to you. Jesus was not taken. He surrendered. Jesus wasn't overcome or overwhelmed. Jesus gave up willingly his life in your place and mine. He did the unthinkable. Holy God, and yet fully man, said, I will take Jeff's hell and I will give him my heaven. And I don't know if you've ever pondered that thought. That Jesus went to the garden knowing every single detail of your wretched existence on this earth. And I'm saying that in a negative way so that you understand it. It's not that everything all of us have ever done is wretched. But at the end of the day, I think most of us can say yes and amen. I've made a mess of things most of my life. I have not done what God's asked me to do. I've not lived as God's asked me to live. I've been places I shouldn't have gone. I've said things I shouldn't say. I've done things I shouldn't do. And sometimes I've been perfectly content in doing so. I've held on to bitterness and anger and hate. I've lived my life apart from God. And yet, Jesus surrendered knowing that about you. Knowing that you would never, ever be able to earn what he was about to give you. It's what makes the Garden of Grace so beautiful. He knew every bit of your hellish existence before you were ever born, and he went to the cross anyway. He knew the times that you would disobey him And he went anyway. He knew the things that you think in your heart, even right now, and he went anyway. You see, what happened in the garden should have happened to you and to me. You should have been pressed down, you should have been crushed. You should have been bruised. You should have been broken. Your life should have been forfeit for your sin. My life should have been forfeit for my sin. I should have received what I have earned. I should have been judged. But by his grace, I'm not going to. Ever thought about that? While Jesus was being weighted down, while Jesus was being broken, he's saying, put another rock on the arm. Squeeze me a little tighter because Jeff's going to need it. Squish out one more drop of my life because man, Jeff is just going to mess up. 
he paid the whole price. The whole price. Every single thing that you have ever done, will do today, or may do tomorrow. The next day, the next week, the next year, until you get home to Jesus, he took it all. In the garden of grace. Pile it on, God. Give me every last one of them. I'll take every single sin upon me. I want to pay the full price right now. No layaway, no installment payment. No, you have to do this and you have to do that to add to what Christ did. Christ took it all. And family, that's the very reason that when Jesus was with the disciples in the upper room, he took the bread. And if you would also take the bread with me now. And he broke that bread. And he said, this is my body, Jeff, which is broken for you. As often as you eat of it, would you remember that what I'm going to do is sufficient to take care of all of your sin? Would you remember me? Let's partake of the bread together. And then Jesus, after supper, supper's done. Judas is gone. He's out wandering in the night somewhere. Jesus picked up the cup of consummation, the cup of completion, the cup that signified it is done, it is finished. And he drank out of that cup first himself. And he looked at the disciples, he said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant. My blood shed for the remission of sin. He could have said it's a cup of grace. As often as you drink of it, do so in remembrance of me. Let's partake together. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we we remember Lord, I remember the rocks that I put on Jesus, your son. Lord, I remember the weight I remember trying to be good enough to earn your favor. I remember trying to pay my own price. We remember, Lord, what you did for us. 
Lord, we remember what you're still doing for us, that sanctifying grace. Thank you for that prevenient grace, that grace that's always been there. We thank you for the grace of your restoration. We thank you for the grace that leads us to obedience. We remember, Jesus, your broken body, your shed blood, your life given for ours. We thank you that you took our hell and gave us your heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.